It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, well, Rich, this is an important day, you know, that Americans really need to think about. And this is all Americans. But uh, it was in 1968, I think it was, that Dr. Martin Luther King was killed, wasn't it? Yes, it was. 1968, does that seem like a long time ago to you? It doesn't to me. Well, be- because you took us there. It has is a vivid memory that yeah. I have. In 68, you were how old? Well, roughly. let's see. Oh, roughly, uh, roughly, roughly, roughly. Uh, 12. Yeah, so you were 12 years old. I remember your sister and then your other sister and a brother. And I told my wife, Shirley, I said, you know what? You know what? We need to go there. I want to see where this took place. This is history, and I want to take the children because I never, never, never want them to forget it. And we did, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. And then we went on to Atlanta, uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, and we saw the, the grave where he was actually buried. And we saw the marker where it said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, oh, I'm yeah. free at last. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's just ponder that for a second. You know what? A person is struggling, and a person is trying uh, their whole life to accomplish something that is just plain right and good. And finally, they reach that point where they are free from the burden, free from the struggle, free from the responsibility. And that's what was that really touched my heart when I read that, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Well, anyway, uh, Rich, over the many years, God has put people in our lives that we've been able to learn from and have been such a blessing. And one of those is Reverend Bill Owens and his wife, Deborah, actually, because uh, Reverend Bill Owens with the Church of God in Christ, he was raised in Memphis, and uh, he's not quite as old as I am, I don't think, but, uh, but he's got a memory, and he lived through a lot of years. So let's turn now to Reverend Bill Owens, who's on the line with us, uh, who was raised in Memphis, and now you're uh, living in, uh, well, you're, you're kind of all over the country, I guess, aren't you, Bill? That's right. That's right. We still have a residence in Memphis. Well, absolutely. Now, you know, when I was there last, I had a group of people, and you kind of took us around and showed us your own childhood. For the, for the information of our radio audience, how old are you now? 78. I was 78 years old, December the 27th. Were you born in Memphis? I was born in Memphis. So, 78 years old and born in Memphis, you've seen a lot of life, haven't you? And I've seen a lot of life. Maybe the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. All of it. What was the sustaining factor during your entire life? The sustaining factor was God, my church, and my home. My family, my mother, my father, my grandmother. Those were the sustaining factors that carry me till today, until this day. Yeah. All right. I tell you what, let's just start out here now because Dr. King, Martin Luther King, his famous uh, speech, I think, was uh, I Have a Dream speech, you see. And I tell you what, he wasn't dreaming about power. He wasn't dreaming about being a big shot. He wasn't dreaming about how I will, I will be uh, on top of everything. 
This is what he said about what his dream was. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Yeah, you see, uh, um, um, Reverend Bill Owens, uh, he said the color isn't the point, the character is. Talk to us about that because your own life experience, your own life experience growing up in Memphis and, and all of these other things, talk to us about how to put into the life of a child the character, uh, both black and white or whatever it may be, that will allow them to succeed in life and be all that God intended them to be. Well, Dick, if you remember, when we were in Memphis, I showed you where I lived until I was seven years old. Two rooms, 11 people, outside water, outside toilet. That's how I grew up. But I tell you, we did not have lovely things. But we had Christ and we had love. Our parents loved us and they taught us. And from that beginning, we are where we are today. And that is what has sustained us. When they taught us, it's not how much money you have, not your prestige, but your character. Now, when I say character, and your parents were such an important part in molding your life, shaping your thoughts, were they teaching you also to work to to uh, to use your hands and your feet and to and to create and to build and to go and to and to make something. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I have worked in some form of fashion since I was in third grade. Third grade, we started picking cotton. So I've not been without a job since then. I know it works because I instilled it in my children. And I don't have a lazy child. I have eight. I don't have a lazy child. Well, they had building them work. I tell you what, mm-hmm. they had quite a dad, that's for sure, and yes, a mother, well, and a mother. See, I guess one one thing that makes me so close to you, Reverend Bill Owens, who grew up in Memphis, and I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was thinking driving to the studio today. I can remember when I was uh, six, seven years old. Um, this time of year, wearing a uh, a snowsuit, and I mean, this was a warm snowsuit with overshoes and big mittens and and a hat that came all over, all of that sort of thing. But but you didn't have that. But I'll tell you, I grew up in Minnesota where I could go to any any water fountain I wanted to. I could right. go to any bathroom I wanted to. I could go into a restaurant and say, I'd like an ice cream cone, please. And if I had the money, why I'd, I'd get it. That was sure different than your growing up. Tell us just a little bit about that. When we grew up, there was a colored-only fountain and white. You had a colored restroom, colored water fountain. You sat at the back of the bus. And you know, Dick, let me throw this in. You called me Bill, right? Yeah. I was born, my name was Willie. W-I-L-L-I-E. I discovered that white people in the South called a black person Willie Bubba Jr. 
they had certain names. Or or boy. A boy. And I didn't know that. And I was with my mother one day, and uh, somebody called me Willie. I said, wonder how did he know my name? She said, well, to white people, they have certain names that black people, they just give black people. So I changed my name to William because of that. Then I go on, but, but that was the thing that made me change my name to William. Now, I didn't change it legally, but I started using William because I did not want to be classified as a boy. You- so we went through all of that, Dick. But we were always in steel with pride, with dignity, with class. My mother told me you can be as black as 50,000 midnights, but be somebody. They instilled that in us all of our life. And I was in elementary school right there at Mason Temple. I showed it to you. And, uh, and my mother said, you're going to be a teacher. And believe it or not, Dick, I went to college, became a teacher, and went back and taught at the school where I went as a boy with many of the same teachers, the same principal, because my mother instilled in me. So that's my story, Dick. Yeah. See, your mother instilled in you, and your father, you had both, and uh, that made a big difference in your perception of life and how to cope with the difficulties of life that should, many of those absolutely should not have been imposed, but they were, and yet you survived and you succeeded. Now, every child should have that. And um, and Reverend Bill Owens, you and I have known each other now for, what, about 20 years, I guess. That's it's right, a long about time. 20 years. Time is passing very, very much, and I think the bond immediately between us was we both had such interest in helping kids get into a good school, helping children get into a good school where they would learn quickly and take unto themselves the feeling that I can, I will, I can build, I can create, I can succeed, I can do these things, and it's fun to know things. And it was out of our mutual interest in children and and whatever can be done to encourage a good school. And a good school isn't just going up in the morning and sitting in a classroom. It's what takes place in that classroom that really contributes a lot of what you got, didn't it? Absolutely, Dick. And uh, you know my interest in education. And my wife and I both went back and got higher degrees in education. We both got master's at Creason's Brother University in Memphis. And my wife went on and got her doctorate in education at Vanderbilt. Because we wanted to know all we could about what it took to educate our young people. So we are inclined to believe that education is the key to our young people. Not welfare, not what can you give me, what am I going to get, but what can I give. And President Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And we have flipped that. Now we want to know what our country can do for us. But in order to do that, you've got to have the resources. You've got to have a school that will that will commit itself. See, I don't want to go to a doctor that's not a good doctor. He may have the degree on the wall. He may have everything where he graduated and everything else. But if he's not a good doctor, I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, and that's the way it is when a child is in a classroom. If the teacher has all the credentials, belongs to the union, all of these things, but a teacher is not a good teacher and committed 
to opening up the mind of that little first grader, second grader, third grader, and on and on and on. What good is it other than wasting time and money and the, and the whole life of the child? Absolutely. You're absolutely right, Dave. The teacher must be able to inspire the student, not just teach that student mathematics, uh, history, whatever, but inspire that student to want to do great things in his life and want to be somebody. I've thought so many times, I've thought so many times, now some children do not have parents like you did. I think most children today probably are from a single-parent home, and even then it may not be a good situation. However, that child is in school from morning until late afternoon, and, and when that child is awake and in school and in that classroom is when they are most susceptible to forming habits and thinking thoughts and dreaming about what tomorrow may bring, all of that. So why aren't we asking our schools why their record is so miserable? And I know that it isn't just Memphis or St. Louis or Kansas City or Nashville or, or wherever that may be, but the schools need to be held accountable for why they are not educating the children, especially getting them started in the first, second, and third grade and preparing them then to go to middle school, high school, and college. What are your thoughts about that? I really don't know what happened to our school systems across the country, but I do know they're in bad shape, and the, the students, the children that they're turning out is less than what should be expected and desired of them. Now, um, it, I, I told you this before, it's hard for a black kid to get a good 6th grade, 8th grade education. Now, it's harder for them to get that than it was for me to get a degree for some reason. And I think the component that is missing is that inspiration, that love of that teacher for that child, the, the desire to see that child achieve and learn and grow. Something has been lost in our educational system. The unions, partly to blame. So we just have to find out what has gone wrong with our education system. Common Core is a disaster. Uh, so we, my wife and I are working on that now. What can we do uh, to help our young people and inspire them to want to learn and dream of all the things that Dr. King talked about? Uh, we dream that my children would have it better than I had it. When I finished high school, there was only one state school in the state of Tennessee that I could go to. That was Tennessee State University, and that's where I went. No, 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 just... In the city-in. Hey, Bill... Archer, Dr. King, and John Lewis, so that my children wouldn't be committed to just one school in the whole state. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, what has happened... Uh, and, and so my children were able to go anywhere because of the sit-ins and the, the civil rights movement led by Dr. King. Yeah. So yeah. we need another movement. Yeah. Bill, let me, let me make an insert here. Uh, and this is to ask all of our listeners to introspectively consider why were you only permitted to go to one school? Did you say it was Tennessee University? Why was that? Because of segregation, the law. Yeah. Because Tennessee's of segregation. Not all of those schools. 
because of segregation. Because yeah. of segregation, you see, and that was based on what? Now we don't even have to ask that question, because it was wrong, and those people who went to church go to church right now, and they're not really thinking about it. You see, where I'm where I'm going with this now, uh, Reverend Bill Owens is in every city where there's a problem. That that problem belongs to the whole city. And I don't know that there's a mayor or a governor or a state legislator that is considering why on earth are our schools doing such a miserable job. And they can we can say, well, they've got bad parents, they've got bad families, or on and on and on. But you see, the way it is now, it wasn't but a few years ago that their parents were sitting in a classroom in a school. Time goes by very, very quickly. And uh, let's just take Kansas City as an example. I think it's been 20 years or more since Kansas City Public School District has been able to maintain minimum state accreditation standards. I believe the same thing is true in St. Louis and in other cities. Now, that's a shame because it costs the taxpayers tons of money. My word is it, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 per year. And that's money that's just lost, but it costs the lives of the boys and girls then who, who are not prepared for life, as you were, even under the impossible, um, terrible, segregated situation that you were brought up through. Absolutely. And, uh, but, you know, the, the love and the training that we received in the home from my mother and my father and my grandmother uh, gave me the foundation to do everything we're doing now and more. I'm not satisfied with what I'm doing now. I want to do more, and I can do more. But it, was, it started at home. And one thing that has happened, I know, is the breakdown of the family. That has happened. And by the way, Dick, I'd like for your listeners to contact me at our website and, and sign up to get our newsletters. We send out two newsletters a week. And that, if they would go to caapusa.org. All right, now, Coalition of African American Pastors, USA.org. CAAP, Coalition African American Pastors. Right. CAAP.org. Is that it? CAAPUSA.org. Okay, absolutely. Go ahead, Rich. Dr. Bill Owens is our guest on today's Complete Story, Reverend Dr. Bill Owens. And uh, Reverend Owens, so much of the Christian history of the civil rights movement, I think, is being whitewashed over, and people in contemporary telling of it have, have it kind of almost intentionally omitted the spiritual aspects of it. I mean, it's Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and it's the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and, and so much of the, the meetings were held in churches, and the songs were sung. Those were spiritual songs. Tell us, if you would, because you, you lived through a big part of this, tell us about the Christian basis of that and how it was informed by and motivated by Christian faith. I can tell you, at that time, it was a church, it was ministers, it was members of churches that led the civil rights movement. It was spiritually based. It was not a secular organization. It was all spiritual. And what is happening today, and everybody calling everything they want to do, civil rights, is not civil rights. It's a civil wrong. 
And we were spiritually led. Dr. King was a minister. And the civil rights movement was led by ministers and church people and church leaders. And what we have now is really a counterfeit of that period. And they have done a lot of damage to the civil rights movement. Everything they want to do socially, they put it on the tile of civil rights, and it's wrong. I addressed that last night. I'm addressing it more. The civil rights movement was a spiritual movement. We, we were set aside because of the color of our skin. You cannot help the color of your skin. We had no choice over that. And we marched that because we were black, we were denied certain rights. Now everything they want to do to get their way in society, to change society, they put it under the banner of civil rights. It's not civil rights. Mm. Listen, before our our time is getting away from us, another thing you see, uh, like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, he was a very young man when he started, but he had a good education. His father, who pastored in Atlanta, he made sure that he had a good education and was prepared for life. But here he is now, 27 years old. Wow, here I am, 83, for goodness sakes. 27 is pretty young to do what he was doing. Wow. Um, And Billy Graham was 27 years old. Isn't it interesting? Both men were the same age. Billy Graham had his crusade at Madison Square Garden in New York. And... um, Pastor Dr. Martin Luther King was the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in um, Montgomery, wasn't it, Rich? Right, and That's this right. is in 1957. And this is in 1957 when these two men, so important to the cause of Christ and for what is decent in America, were very, very young. Now listen to their voices and see what happened. Tonight we're delighted to have from Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King, the minister of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Heavenly Father, out of whose mind this great cosmic universe has been created, we come recognizing our dependence on thee. We stand amid the forces of truth and yet we deliberately lie. We stand amid the compelling urgency of the Lord of love as exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ. And yet we live our lives so often in the dungeons of hate. For all of these sins, oh God, forgive. We thank thee this evening for the marvelous things which have been done in this city through the dynamic preaching of this great evangelist, we ask thee, O God, to continue blessing him, give him continued power and authority. And as we listen to him tonight, grant that our hearts and spirits will be open to the divine inflow. All of these things we ask in the name of him who taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, Bill, that was so beautiful, uh, and moving. the whole the whole crowd just joined in. I tell you that what, see, that was a coming together. The entire audience of all races, all races, 
all creeds and very ages, they all joined in to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You see, uh, every generation, who was it who said freedom itself is only one generation away from being lost if we don't protect it? That's right. And I have always said it's the churches, the churches, the pastors. And it isn't this church or that church, but my word, if you pastor a church in a city and that city has a problem in its school system where little boys and girls are being denied an education that means anything or something like that, well, you need to bestir yourself. You need to work with other pastors. Bill, it's in my mind that I would love to see African-American pastors and the white pastors in every city come together, those who know the Lord. I'm not talking about those who deny the Bible. I'm talking about those who know the Lord to come together and work together on these things in a city. Then we would have better school systems, wouldn't we? We would have better cities, better school systems. Everything would be better. More jobs. Everything would be get better if the pastors of all colors, of all denominations, would work together. Now, we are going to have an inauguration uh, just in a few days in uh, Washington. Uh, Dr. Alveda King, who is Martin Luther King's niece, uh, she said, and I'm just quoting here, where is it here? She said um, that she, uh, she voted for Donald Trump, but she said, I pray that all polar opposites will learn about agape love and live and work together as brothers and sisters or perish as fools. And she went on to say, while I voted for uh, Donald Trump, uh, my confidence remains in God for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And uh, she ended that by saying, pray for the president-elect Donald Trump and Congressman John Lewis and everyone else in our leadership over America. Now, that's a spirit of coming together, isn't it? That's right. Absolutely. I was with Alveda the other day in Washington, D.C. Hmm. Now, tell me, in the closing moments here, because you supported Donald Trump, and I don't suppose it's because you like the color of his hair or some of the crazy things he said, but what he has, what he has said, he promised the American people, and he will get it right in the appointment of an education secretary and everyone else on his cabinet to serve all of the people in America, not some, but all. Talk to us for a moment about that. I believe that. And when he said, give me a chance to lead, I believed it because that was the name of our ministry at a university where we took some students to enroll, and they did not meet the academic requirements. And I asked the director of mission, would you give these students a chance? No quotas, no demands because they were black, but would you just give them a chance? And they did. And those three students grew to 400 students. In that university. They gave a chance. In a city, young people, we had a 75% yeah. graduation rate. We need leadership. Be done. Yeah. The power of a chance. See, we need leadership that'll get out of the box. That's we need right. Leadership that'll get out of the box and stir things up, and then be accountable for the results. You know, right. in, in the closing moments here, 
the so-called establishment Republicans. You know, and the problem with the Democrat Party, for goodness sakes, it didn't seem to matter. Neither were keeping their word. Uh, neither were doing what they said they would do. And many of them ignored some of the things that we're talking about right now. But this could be a new day. And it seems to me, Bill, want you to comment that it's the war between good and evil that is taking place far more than a war between political parties or which candidate is has been elected by the people to be the next leadership. You're absolutely right. It's a war between good and evil. Well, then what we must do, I suppose, is put our shoulder to the wheel collectively. Because Dr. Martin Luther King, he said, free at last. Free at last, thank God Almighty, he's free at last, you see. But, but then the baton falls to us, doesn't it? That's right, absolutely, and, and it's a great responsibility. We have a grave responsibility, and I'm contacting John Lewis, Reverend John Lewis, that I don't want to see him fall on the wrong side of history. He's made so many contributions. He's done so much good, but so did Adam Clayton Powell, yeah. and he went out bad. I don't want to see that happen to John Lewis right. being wrapped up in a political party, an ideology that is not from God. And I'm, uh, I'm contacting him to ask him to reconsider his position yeah. on saying that Mr. Trump is not fairly elected to All be right. the president of the United States. Well, listen. He is. He was elected legally. And I said last night, the other opposing people laws because they got off of the God agenda and they felt they could change people's religion. All right. Reverend Bill Owens, thank you. We've got to do this more often. This is Dick Bott. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of the complete story as a public service. I'll see you later. Thank you. God bless you.